So I got robbed while we were on break. Right. Yes. Yeah, as, as you guys know. Yeah. Uh, but I had to talk to the police because of that, as mm-hmm. happens often when somebody steals things from your house. Yes. You, yeah. you should. Yes. You should? I don't know if you should. Well, it's... You can. It is the standard, I think. It's easier to get your renter's insurance if you do. Right. And Mm. it makes your job not charge you for the stuff they had stolen. (laughs) If you say, I swear to God, I had the cops come over here and and verify somebody else took it. Right. Standard operating procedure, though. But because of this, you know, I had to interact with law enforcement, which, you know, because of my caucasity, I don't have to do all the time. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I did... I did talk to a police officer. Mm -hmm. I had to be nice to him, but I've been thinking about it. And they're a lot like vampires. You ever think about it? You ever notice this? I mean, first of all, they can't just come into your house, right? There's like... No, supposedly. Well, they're not supposed to. (laughs) The judge can invite them Something will happen if they do. If they come into your house without permission... they start bleeding? Bad things happen. They should. Or other people in the house Other people start bleeding usually (laughs) when they enter uninvited. But... Generally speaking, you know, the magic spell has to take place. You have to say, yes, you can come in. Number two, people can't stop making movies about them. Sure. Right? Just plenty of movies. Cop, wherever you turn left, right, it's a cop, it's a vampire, it's a vampire cop. All movies have gotten both. And, of course, they're all hungry for blood. Yes. Gotcha. So, I just can't stop thinking about cops and vampires with it being spooky season and, you know, me being robbed. Right on, right on. Very good, very good. So that's the thesis statement for this episode, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. It would be something different. I don't think this movie's about that. No, it's about a lot. And they got rid of the cop. The, what's that? The, you know, and I think it's in the book, too. But in the American remake, there's like a whole a detective, detective subplot. Who is oh. replaced. Or in this one, he's a just a townsman. Yeah, just just like investigating yeah, what's going on. Somebody else like a, living in the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they sort of jettison the police subplot. Mm. I think that's from the novel, but... Uh, I mean, there's murder and there are people investigating it. Yeah. We do meet a police officer who's um, just doing like dare kind of stuff. Sure. The but there's like a there's like a full on Elias Cotius portrayed uh, like homicide detective role. Elias in the American Cotius Re- playing a cop. Yeah. Like who would have guessed. Right. In a horror movie. <laughs> mm hmm. Wow. Yeah, who would have ever thought of that? Yeah, I, man, that never happens. Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast. We gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. We are now in Shocktober, Shocktober 12, the International, in which we are looking at international horror. The international horror at which we are looking today is uh, Let the Right One In from Sweden. Uh, very, very good time uh, as a movie, as a vampire flick, and a romance story. It's a romantic horror film um according to the wikipedia and uh interesting uh as a i guess so it, it, i mean that's not wrong i don't guess but uh, i'm still dustin i'm still arthur i am still dalton i didn't see anything about the cop in the synopsis for I, the book i'm doing a quick scan myself there's a police officer character but he's not like doesn't seem like he's a maybe they, maybe they thought for american audiences it made for more sense for a cop to be investigating this that is yeah that makes sense or I mean, matthew vaughn who directed this? Uh, Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Did the American you, remake. You do kind of wonder where the popo are in all of this. Um, because... They can't there, be bothered with There are murders and assaults and... Yeah. Do you blame them? Uh, I mean, you, you've got kids. You know. I mean... <laughs> Hey, you know what? You've never, you've never been a beat cop in the mean streets of '80s Stockholm, man. You don't know what it's like in these streets, dude. That's that's, that's back to the Blue Dalton. We'll be making a, we'll be making appearances every once in a while. Blue get out of here! Get, get out of here, the Blue Dalton. Um, in case you're tuning in the Good Trash Johncast for the very first time, we're very silly. Um, also, we are doing an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean spoilers. But we're going to avoid spoilers for the first 
first part of the show. And what that looks like is synopsis, followed by thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, very brief, and then moving on to a little game called Explain the Syllabus, which will involve just the gentlest spoilers of possible bits of the plot, but not consequential bits of the plot or other films in the orbit of this film. Then we play music to let you know we've gotten down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So that is your warning, yeah, dear listener. We're going to tell you that little girl is a vampire. We're going to tell you who she kills. If somebody kills her, it's all coming out. Yeah, we're going to... Yeah, all the all the secrets will be revealed. And with that, we're going to go now to that synopsis, and Arthur is going to delight us with it. A young pariah befriends the new girl who moves in next door. But is it just coincidence that her arrival coincides with several ghastly deaths in town? And why must she be invited in? Oh, that's right. She's a vampire. <laughs> Love that. Let's get synopsis. He's a bully kid. She's a vampire from the country. Watch as they fall in love this fall on Netflix. It sounds like a Netflix show. Biting into love. It also does sound like an Avril Lavigne song. <laughs> Could I be any more obvious? He was a bully kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, you got it. She was one of the undead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, both, you're both picking it up. Yeah, you know. Uh, this movie's cool, right? It is very cool. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a very, very good time. It's like interesting how it's so deeply obvious that she's a vampire, and yet if you didn't know that, it could take you reasonably like up to 40 minutes to realize it. Well, because there aren't vampires, right? the assumption is there aren't vampires. You don't immediately go, Oh, clearly vampire. I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm always on vampire alert. I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I smell the garlic necklace you're wearing. Yeah. That's why I eat all the garlic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not working. So with that, let's go to those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Arthur, what do you think? Do you like, let the right one in. Uh, is this everybody's first watch? Have you seen it? Had you seen it before? No. Yeah. First watch for, I, I saw let me in in theaters, yeah. but yeah, I never I got saw let me in first. I've never seen let me in. I enjoy it. It's fun. I don't yeah. remember much about it, but I, I like it. I liked it. Uh, Chloe Grace Moritz. Yeah. But I haven't seen it. It's a real, I saw it in the town. I want to say on the same weekend. What I have like a, a double a feature. Uh, That's a good movie. It's either the, It in the Town or It and um, Social Network. They're all 2010 movies, so I can't really... Yeah, it was, was a good time. Dude, 2010, year. 2010 kind of delivered, honestly. Uh, good year to be at the movies. Uh, I really... You know, let the right one in. I am... I, I think it's very good. I don't know where I'm at with it. I, I, I love the setup quite a bit. I, I think it kicks off really interesting ways. And then it just kind of meanders for a while. And then it wraps up with maybe the coolest scene mm-hmm. it ever in a pool i mean i mean it's just such a cool sequence well and like a really great like button yeah. right after that like yeah. an excellent set piece and then like a really cool like boop. pin in the fe- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah feather in the cap yeah yeah i, I mean it, it does a lot of things really well i love this hoyt van hotima doing yeah, cinematography baby, i saw hoyt. his name pop up in the credits that's cool um i think it's got a great look i love i mean it's very small it's very simple it's got a, you know, just a couple of sets or locations that they're using uh, some great photography, a lot of nice, you know, cold nights, very Swedish mm-hmm. in that, right? That kind of in, in the last, I don't know, 30 years, there's been, a you know, the big Swedish crime, dark noir thing that they do um, over there in yeah. the Nordic countries. Just, yeah, all of Scandinavia kind of yeah. had like a moment for like U.S. adaptations. Yeah. And, and so uh, I think it's got a gorgeous look. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, Oscar's like flirting with maybe becoming a serial killer. So that's a really interesting protagonist to introduce yeah. us to. Um, so, you know, I, I think about it in relation to like, uh, I just kind of jump into analysis and think about school violence and things like that. Mm. But, um, I like 
parts about it. I, I think I, we've got some great little, you know, ch- child, uh, teen actors. You know, I think mm-hmm. Oscar's really good. I think uh, uh, Lee, I can't remember her Ellie. name. Ellie. Ellie is, you know, really good. Uh, the bullies are appropriately bullyish. Um, you know, those things really work for me. I, the, the tiny townspeople, the setting, all of that's really good. Uh, it, it really is, does become this drama slash coming of age film that has a vampire in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also very low key funny. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ellie's dad, caretaker, caretaker yeah. uh, just constantly whiffing yeah. to, uh, on his job is a really good bit. Worst Renfield. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's such a funny, and there are other little bits like that, like it, it feels very dryly comic in a sense. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of humor to it as well. That's really clever if you're paying attention and, and kind of following along with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then a lot of the interior life stuff, I think with Oscar, I'm not quite as interested, like the weird relationship with the dad, um, with his mom, like those kind of home life things that are going on. Uh, feel like it feels like there's like one or two, too many little strands with, in the world of this story. And I mean, it's pretty bare bones for what it is, but you know, we're, we've got the townspeople doing investigations. We've mm-hmm. got Oscar, the kids at school, Oscar's mom, Oscar's friend, Oscar is dad. Like <laughs> there's a lot of these different, like kind of interior moments that it feels like it starts to kind of pull within the midsection apart for me. And, and it may just be me. Maybe it's, I don't know, a non-American thing, but kind of like last week, there are points where I was just, Felt like I was losing a bit of momentum. I wasn't as invested in what was going on uh, if Ellie wasn't involved or, you know, there weren't kind of direct conflicts. Uh, that being said, there's just some really ghastly imagery in this. Uh, uh, we get to see a couple of really cool corpses. Uh, you know, we get to see a, a fun little Harvey Dent type thing uh, happening here. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. We get to see uh, just the man just the this ghastly corpse whose head's been turned around um and and then it it knows when to play its cards and show you things and it knows when to withhold that and again kind of going back i mean that pool sequence at the end is just phenomenal and so smart and the way in which it constructs itself and how it plays out and so there are things about it I really do like. I really do dig. I, I I mean, I like that it's a vampire movie, but it isn't really insufferable with his mythos. It, it doesn't really care about origins and timelines and Van Helsing. You know, we don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. We just very much exist in this world and a vampire happens to show up. And I think that's a fun thing to do. And so there are a lot of things I like about it. I don't know that I love it. I think and it may have just been an expectations thing. We're real high. You know, this is one of those kind of international horror hits. You know, when it comes out, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. just like Train to Basan was. And so it was one of those that I'd wanted to catch up with. I'd heard a lot of good things about. And just, you know, finally, after kind of 15 years of expectations for this sort of heralded, let the right one in. I don't know if it quite met that. And so um, it's good. But for me, that's kind of where I think it's capping out right now it's got some really cool stuff in it some things i I, i'd probably go watch it again like i'm not saying i wouldn't watch it again but i don't know that i'm in love with it okay thanks for that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay um dalton what do you think sorry i (laughs) i agree with arthur that the movie bangs wangs uh and i disagree with him that it's not deeply compelling at every turn uh 
I sorry, I did get a little distracted. I was reading up on the novel real quick because I didn't get a chance to do it before we sat down. And uh, much like I, I was reading up on the plot events of the novel because during the movie, I found myself thinking, man, this has got like big Stephen King energy. Right. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's about childhood. Uh, there's a psychopathic older brother. It's a small town. Their cops are like ineffectual, but like the town alcoholics are like more involved in what's going on in the police. Like just like every turn, it's like, man, this really got like big Stephen King energy. So I was kind of looking up the plot beats of the novel real quick just to, you know, kind of out of curiosity. Uh, and boy, does that make me even go even more. Oh, God, it's they cut a bunch of weird stuff is what I'll say about the novel. Uh, not weird. I just. Yay. I like weird. I want to read it now. They allude. To, well, when we get to spoilers, I'll. We'll talk about it, uh, but they allude to some of the more like harder to adapt aspects of the book or the in this film. They they allude mm-hmm. to like one in particular bit that they don't. That's kind of like there's an image we see that's like very confusing and jarring, and it's never really expanded upon. Yes, and the novel elaborates. G- gives us detail, does it? Elaborates. Okay. Uh, anyway, I I'm. Wow, I, I'm with Arthur. I'd been meaning to catch up for this long time, especially after seeing Let Me In, which like, yeah, it kind of took a bath at the box office, made its money back barely. People liked it, but didn't really like the fans of this film were kind of like poo pooing Let Me In. Uh, I I feel like every positive review I saw of it, you know, even the ones that really liked it, still unfavorably compared it to the original. Mm-hmm. And I get it now. As somebody who liked Let Me In in theaters, uh, I, I've always kind of been like, well, I guess I gotta get to that original at some point because people, it really is just like, uh, it's a much more mature film. Mm-hmm. You know, Let Me In is a much more expensive, much more American film. Gotcha. Um, and, and this is just like more restrained, more thoughtful, more quiet, um, which at times is good. And I, I, I get what Arthur's saying, though. There are definitely moments where I was not as engaged in this as I probably could have been. But every time I started to check out, it would throw some crazy image at me. And I'd be like, OK, well, I guess I'm back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then it would throw something else at me. And I, I would think, oh, no, I, I never left. We've never been more back because we were never gone. This movie's incredible. Um, I think I it's weird though. I'm trying to decide like how much more I prefer it to train to Busan. There are things about it that hold me at arm's distance a little bit. Um, I haven't given either of the films, uh, a star rating yet. I don't think I'm letterboxed. Um, but yeah, so I'm still kind of like, they're both definitely solid fours and I keep debating to myself whether or not I need to creep up on this one, mm. I guess is where I'm at. Yeah. I really like this. I like Hoyt's cinematography, especially. I mean, you can see why he kind of became like one of the biggest DPs in the world off of the success of this film. Uh, he just looks incredible. And especially like you see why um, Peel wanted him for Nope, like with all the night shooting that happens in this film. I'm like, damn, yeah, that's who you want to shoot your nights. You got a bunch of scenes at night. This is the guy you want because uh, it looks great. I mean, I, I rewatched a little bit of Let Me In just for comparison. I don't know. I think they're both shot on digital, so it's weird to me that that film looks like so much more. Is Let American? Me In? Yeah, is Let Me In set in the eighties? Also set in the eighties. Okay, they're both it, set in the eighties. Does it play the nostalgia harder? Yeah, there's like Reagan in the first ten minutes. Okay, so it's like leaning on the setting a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's going for more of a David Fincher look than this film is. Yeah, like it's and it's Re- I mean Reeves kind of like his movies all kind of Fincher have that Fincher esque like kind of very inky digital photography. Mm-hmm. This like looks like it's digital, but looks like it's going for more of a analog film look. You know what I mean? Like the, the way the I'm, I'm assuming it was shot on digital because it was 2008. 
I'm going to confirm. And it's an, and it's a cheap movie. That's kind of the other reason. Like, it's not a big, expensive movie, so I was wondering. But yeah, look it up. Look up the format on IMDb for me, because I would be curious. Just, it, I think that's one of the most interesting things, though, uh, about these two films is just like kind of the visual comparison, because they're both like very striking to look at films. Uh, and um, I think it's going to be a real your mileage may vary on what Shot you prefer. Shot on a 35 millimeter negative. This was sure on 35. Well, there you mm-hmm. go. It looks like it was. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was digital because, you know, of the era and because of the budget. But I guess that does make sense because the big digital changeover is like closer to 09, 2010. Mm-hmm. So I guess it makes sense that this is on a, a proper uh, film negative because it. Yeah, it definitely like. I don't know. It's not quite inky mm-hmm. like, the, like the American yeah. one is. Uh, despite like all of its night stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with Arthur though, that Oscar is like, that's a compelling protagonist because you're worried about him in more, different ways than you're worried about a different kid in this situation. You're like, you're worried for his physical safety because of the bullies, but you're like worried for his soul. Right. In, in an interesting way. Um, and I, I think, uh, I don't want to poo poo the child performances in the American film because it's been over 10 years since I've seen it. I also don't want to poo poo those performances because I don't speak Swedish. So I can't like, I can only calibrate how well I I'm receiving these performances. I, you know, I can only like key in on so much, but I'm like a big fan of both of the kids in this. I think they're really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in a way that like is kind of distressing, like they're, they're almost too good. Not that Cody Smith McPhee and, and Chloe Grace Moritz aren't like talented, but they've got, they've got that kid who grew up in movies energy. Mm hmm in a way that these two kids don't really for me. Um, so it, it was definitely an interesting film to experience in terms of like, you know, it's, I don't always get to do it in this order. I think the departed and infernal affairs was the last time I got to do a, a two films like this in this order, you know, the having a ton of exposure to the American adaptation and then going back to the original. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is obviously different because it's, uh, two swings at adapting the same novel as opposed to, you know, a one-to-one remake per se. Um, but yeah, I, I can't, I really want to watch this movie again. I liked it a lot. It's, it was creepy and it's cold and it's just got all the stuff going for it. And again, like every time you start to think, well, this is kind of languidly paced and I don't know how I feel about slow movies. It'll throw some crazy shit at you, like Ellie's eyes, like reflect, reflecting light or mm-hmm. a pillar of fire in a hospital bed or a bloody handprint and a, like a really great medium shot. Just like, oh, cool stuff in this movie. Uh, I can't wait till we get into analysis because it is depraved, uh, a truly depraved <laughs> film. Uh, not OK, not depraved, but I heady. Let's yeah, say heady. We'll say heady. What about you? What do you? How do you like this? Oh, guys, this did, is right up your alley. Did you guys know I like vampire movies? <laughs> do you know that about you? Um, I, I know you like good ones. I like, and you know what? This is one of them. This is a really, really good one. And yeah, you also love stuff about how childhood, much like me, you love stuff about how childhood's evil, right. <laughs> actually, and it's it, you know it's terrible <laughs> and uh, really traumatic and. Uh, you know, oftentimes in a vampire movie, you've got a protagonist that you care more about, you know, but in these kind of there, there's a sort of subgenre within where you're sort of meeting the vampires. I'm thinking about interview with the vampire mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, bones and all. I thought about a lot, uh, mm-hmm. watching this movie yeah. and, uh, you're really sort of focused on the non-human and, and then all your interest is there in the non-human one. And this movie sort of refuses to play that game. It refuses to be, a, a, a movie about Ellie. It's got Ellie in it, and Ellie's really important to it, but the movie is 
um, 100% sort of it's about Oscar. Mm-hmm. We're learning about who he is becoming. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it's sort of just kind of assumed and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, that, 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 yes, we're going to now add a vampire into the, the sort of warp and woof and web of this kid's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really, really is compelling because he is a really interesting kind of character because he's the bullied kid. He is the maybe moving up to abusing animals um, kid mm-hmm. who may eventually become a serial killer or simply just the kid that's going to one day, you know, um, whack somebody really hard with a blunt object. Um, yeah. You know, that that sort of thing um, in response to the bullies. And so that, I, I again, I find it really compelling. And as um, Dalton said, I really love Ellie and Oscar's performances. I think they're just incredible. Just great acting um, on part of these kids. And uh, I, 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 yeah, it might be worse if I knew Swedish. Maybe. Sure. Or it might be better. I really don't know. But what I got, I was like, I'm just incredibly compelled yeah. uh, by what they were doing. It just blew my socks That's off. That's kind of why I had to back off on poo-pooing the 2010 performance. Sure. It's been a long time. Yeah. You know, I speak the language, so there's a different, like, there's a whole different thing. But yeah, I, and maybe it was just because, like, I'm so kind of enamored with these two performances mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't, I don't remember being rather in 2010. Well, they seemed genuinely awkward. And yeah. uh, one of the things, I mean, again, I haven't seen Let, the right, or Let Me In, um, but Chloe Grace Moretz is even when she's trying to be kind of an outsider character, I'm thinking about her Carrie movie that yeah. she was in. She she just it's sort bad of casting. She just can't quite be an outsider. I mean, she, she's traditionally Hollywood pretty. She's and that's, yeah. I think counterintuitive to both Ellie and I mean, especially Carrie. Yeah, yeah. She, she's just gorgeous and charismatic. Yeah, and uh, and and she cannot stop being those things. Um, it, it's really I, I'm mad at her agent. I'm not mad at her. Yeah. Uh, for the performances there, uh, her agent should have done better for her and finding her a better script to Weird be a part career. of. Career. Yeah. We'll talk about her career in a little bit, probably. Okay, good. Tangentially, I guess mm-hmm. we'll, we'll save it for when we cover a Chloe Grace Moritz movie. But you know, mm-hmm. maybe we'll get into it. If we have time. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I love the lighting. I love. I mean, we talked a lot about the cinematography and uh, this movie and. It's its interest in reflections and multiplied reflections is incredible. And uh, again, that's a sort of bit of vampire lore that it sort of nods at without ever playing around with. I never saw a non-Ellie reflecting mm-hmm. in a mirror, but I did definitely see another character have a reflection at one point. And so I think it's sort of assuming those vampire rules are not in place. But that's the thing the movie does that I really love is rather than having... Van Helsing come in and tell us these are the rules of the vampires mm-hmm. and this is what the vampires do. It's just you might find out some of it and there might be a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on. It doesn't play around with the religious uh, aspect to this at all, which is fine. No. And maybe that's a thing and maybe it's not a thing. And, you know, for a sequel that you might see that fail or work uh, in another version of it. And uh, I, I just love the idea that we're talking about this particularly traumatized kid who is just trying to come of age and trying to just negotiate life and the right person at the right time or the wrong person at the right time shows up. And that, that I mean, that's how life turns on a dime. Right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a real sort of, it's, it's almost the most mundane vampire story I've ever seen. And mm. I love that about it. Yeah. It's just, it's so very slice of life. So very ordinary. I have a question though. Is dad gay? That was my assumption. Interesting. I didn't. Oh, wait. Or do you mean Ellie's caretaker or Oscar's dad? Oscar's, Oscar's dad. dad. Oh, sure. Okay. Was that his new partner that came in? That's what I presume. Was his roommate or new partner? Interesting. He has a very fussy mustache. Interesting. And is that your tell? Uh, it's not. It's not <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I just hadn't considered that as like a 
part of the text, but yeah, that's kind of an interesting. I, I, you okay. Know, I just, I wondered at that for a moment. Sure. There. And, I had the same thoughts. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm glad you thought it too. Because the way he just kind of throws Oscar to the side when he, when he arrives. Yeah. I didn't very, even think about that. It's aspect not the way it, you would maybe treat like a friend or a brother. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. a kind of platonic thing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it did seem like there was something more going on now there. That, sorry, Oscar. Now that, my, my this person that lives with me is into the equation. Now their interests and mm-hmm. needs are more important. Yeah, that right. definitely reads as romantic partner. Yeah, yeah, as a new, especially a new romantic partner. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So I mean, again, all uh, all of this sort of cauldron of what I'm trying to deal with, you know, and again, lots of subtext and throughout lots of subtext. for lots of characters. And I, and, I, and I do think the text is you know overwhelmingly queer. And so anyway, and so there's 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 something fascinating going on there. Um, but yeah, I really, really just love the movie. And, uh, I mean, I, I, again, here, I think the pacing is glacial, but it's just that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. it's just not, it's not, that's not an error. It's just, this is, this feature is a, not a bug feature, not a bug. Absolutely. This is what we're, what we're going for. And I think in, as far as deploying that, I think it does it really, really well. And so, um, I'm, I'm, I'm there for it. Um, there's a different kind of movie that you could make with the same, um, plot beats and it could be good as well. I think that's what let me in is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think the less subtle, more in your face movie is mm-hmm. that even though they're like, as I recall, the beats other than there being a detective subplot and let me in like they're pretty much the same. movie. OK, as yeah, I, as I remember. And so, yeah, you could make that movie. And uh, sounds like Matt Reeves did and did an OK job. Yeah. And so I'm good on him. But uh, yeah, I really like it a lot. I, I really just kind of adore it. So um, our general consensus is good to great somewhere in between that, uh, depending on who's right and who's wrong. But uh, anyhow, uh, we'll move on to the next part of our show, which is called Explaining the Syllabus. And Dalton's going to explain what that's all about. Yeah. So normally on this show, we discuss the films you would never discuss in a film studies course. And we try to do it in a film studies type way. Uh, this week, we're covering a film that I'm pretty sure I've seen in film textbooks before. I would uh, assume. I, yeah. yeah, I feel like I've seen a little clip up, a little poster image right off to the side. Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, it's a marathon. And when we do marathons, we break the rules as we deem necessary. Uh, and, you know, after 12 years of covering horror movies every October, sometimes you got to go go out and off the beaten path and pick up some stuff that might qualify as artsy or important, and I'm doing big scare quotes if you can't see them with your ears. Um, all that to say, uh, yes, this film has academic discourse around it. Um, it's you know it's been adapted multiple times, uh, TV, stage, uh, two films. So there's a lot going on with this one. Um, but this is the time of the show where we take the movie in question, the week's homework, and we uh, de- design or develop a course around it, uh, maybe a module within a course, and we just bring in all, all the stuff that we can think of that like aligns with our interests with the text. Um, so again, whether it's a movie, uh, a show, a book, a game, a novel, a, a record, uh, we, we try to take something things related, texts related to the week's film and, and try to build a syllabus around that. Uh, so that's that's what we're about to do. Well, that sounds like fun. Do you have one of those ready for us? Yeah. So vampires are about a lot, right? Dustin, uh-huh. go ahead and just for for me, you're sort of the vampire expert at the table uh, <laughs> because you've read and written about them so much, not because of your nightlife or your hunger for blood. Um, what what do you think like? Traditionally, like what are some of the big like three or four E's on the I chart? So the vampire can oftentimes be the immigrant, the sort of foreigner coming mm-hmm. in is oftentimes the way it works out. Uh, vampire is also sort of uh, erotic, uh, uh, id, mm-hmm. unleashed, 
uh, frequently there. And then the vampire is sometimes a symbol of infection, like a zombie. Mm. And so zombies and vampires are very closely related in that sense. And so those are sort of the major kind of uh, ciphers in which the vampire is kind of used as as a text, um, you know, and, and then the devil itself, you know, sort of like yeah. the anti, um, the, the corrupted communion, you know, you drink the yeah. the blood and you live forever, uh, eternal life kind of thing. So. Well, and there you go. And that's the one that I wanted to think about. Okay, was, the religious thing. No, the eternal life. Okay. And when do you for, feel more eternal and more virile than when you're a teenager? Oh, like you are going to live forever? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to look at, at, at vampires for sort of ciphers for youth, mm-hmm. right? Because when we, we get into, like, vampire immortality, we're often, like, thinking about, like, uh, the curse of the curse of knowledge of your own mortality and the want to get rid of it and the temptation to to fight the evil vampire or succumb to to the, the embrace of, of uh, scary immortality. Uh, and, and some stories we get sort of something different. Mm-hmm. We get something that says, no, people get to go through a vampire phase all the time. And sometimes you never get out of that phase. Uh, and, you know, using vampires for sort of that that metaphor for, um, you know, uh, Arrested development, uh, an extended adolescence, um, or or just sort of this feeling of uh, both like high eroticism mixed with uh, nigh invulnerability, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you could look at things like The Lost Boys from Joel Schumacher, uh, the Twilight series, both film or films and novels, right? Very, that's kind of a biggie on the eye chart for this stuff. Yeah, I think we've so. got to talk about those those crazy folks up in Forks, Washington. And all their fun shenanigans. And their glittery vampires. Mm, yeah. Which are not as bad as people... I mean... Not as bad as people make it out to no, me. Really, it's not. Hey, all this time you guys spent worried about diamond vampires? Maybe you should have been crinkling your eyebrows more about the whole indigenous werewolves thing. Uh-huh. I don't know. Skinwalkers, actually, though, maybe it is less problematic than you would think. I don't know. Maybe... A, I don't know that a white Mormon should be the person writing about it. <laughs> All I'm saying is there's a lot to crinkle your eyebrows uh, at Stephanie Meyer about. And I don't know that diamond vampires is necessarily That's a not thing the one, we yeah. got to be worried about. Uh, but uh, like a super useful, like however you feel about that series, uh, I think useful and interesting. And uh, I would go as far as to say essential. Mm-hmm. And as far as this reading of vampires goes, I think it's as essential as the Lost Boys. Uh, I, I think another one, I think the, the previously mentioned interview with a vampire is a great one, uh, not just because of the Kristen Stewart character. I said Kristen Stewart uh, because we were talking about Twilight. I meant Kristen Dunst. Mm-hmm. Uh, that The Dunst character in Interview with the Vampire is kind of essential to this reading and is a real essential pairing with Let the Right One In and, and Let Me In. I figure we're going to talk about one. We might as well talk about both. Um, just get, get the full text in there. Maybe bring in the Damien Brashear starring TV show from Showtime that I found out about literally in prep for this. That's been out for like a year and a half, yeah, two years. Yeah, it's been out for a while. I haven't caught it yet. Yeah, it's been greenlit for a second season. That's like, you know, got stalled out in production because of the strikes. Crazy. People I, like it. Yeah, I had no idea about it. It got canceled. Oh, did it? I thought I saw it. Showtime canceled it. No, no kidding. Wow, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody was clamoring to see this story. Uh, expanded out into a, a TV show. It's too bad. Especially with the father figure as the, the major main character. Shift, yeah. yeah, the big major shift in the adaptation because in all versions of this, and we'll get into it maybe when we get into analysis, like the parentage of like the relationship between Ellie and her caretaker is deliberately obfuscated mm-hmm. and kind of questionable. And that's like a deliberate choice and is like a bigger part of the novel. And it's interesting for the TV show to go. We're going to go in a totally different direction with so this I, idea. I, I, this is, I don't know anything about the novel. Yeah. That's so okay. this is this is my hypothesis. Mm-hmm. He was Oscar 
a long, long time ago. More or less. Oh, really? And okay. I think Let Me In leans into that a little harder than okay. this one does. Uh, I, that's I, That was my memory of Let Me In when I walked out of it. I had like that exact same read mm-hmm. uh, 10 years ago or however long, 13 years ago now. Um, and I think in this film, it's like not quite as obvious about that. Like mm-hmm. it, it definitely like gives the implication that um, Ellie's caretaker could be her father a couple of times. Yeah. Um, if according to the novel, definitely not. Okay. Well, there's a cheek stroke that happens that seems less parental and more lecherous longing <laughs> sure okay longing. yeah we'll, go with. well uh, I, he, he used to be 12 too sure you know okay i don't know yeah oh uh, no I'm, I'm colored by knowledge of the novel yeah. now so oh, okay. I've been ruined. I, I, I don't yeah. i don't i don't need further details i'll just like he used to be 12 too and i like that read though and, and i theoretically yes and, yeah. and he was 12 and met her at 12 and they he, were there is an implication that he's he's the the original or maybe not even the original but the the most recent oscar mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i like that read and we can get into that analysis but that's that's my read you know those are kind of the big ones that i thought of I, there's plenty of vampires as youth analogs there's i mean buffy obviously is another huge one that we'd have to cover um but th- those are the ones that immediately came to mind for me is like these stories where the, the vampirism is like sort of this extension of, of teendom and that's the big metaphor. And we're sort of like looking at all of these intersections of like youth and immortality. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Um, Arthur, are you prepared with the syllabus, my friend? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I think that I would go with, you know, I'm a big fan of the coming of age film. Um, and so I think I would take a look at that from a horror slant. And so I don't know if I could get away with the whole coming of age class, but maybe. Uh, but there would be a horror section in that class if that I were approve. to be a case. Uh, thanks, chair. Um, <laughs> I'm not the chair. And so I think we would kick it off with a movie from 2018 called The Summer of 84, a little independent feature that plays heavily on uh, kind of standby me ideas. Um, but also there's a little bit of that kind of 80s Stranger Things kind of thing happening. Is it that Netflix series has got like a Summer of 84, Summer of 77? No, it's just a movie. Okay. It's just like a standalone film. What am I thinking of? Something else. It doesn't uh, matter. Stranger Things? No, not Stranger Things. There's, a, <laughs> there's like a three three movie thing from Netflix and they're like... Uh, oh, and oh one Fear goes, Street? Fear Street, is that it? No. Yeah, no. No, this is different. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, but I'm just... But yeah, there's Fear Street 88 and okay. 99 or but whatever. but this is yeah. not that. Okay, no. sorry. Uh, Summer of 84 came out in 2018 a few years ago and it is... Um, very much uh, about a group of kids, but children keep going missing in the town and they're trying to figure out what's happening, you know, before they're next. Um, but it's a movie that really doesn't pull its punches uh, in, in, in ways in dealing with those themes and the characters. And I think that's a very, you know, interesting approach to that kind of story and really does get into it in, in interesting ways. Uh, from there, we're talking about Julia DeCarnal's uh, Raw. Um, which I think is, you know, prime for this sort of coming of age horror thing. Also mm-hmm. cannibalism mm-hmm. as well, which the is real, interesting. The real heads are, are standing up in their seats and they're clapping. And they're, <laughs> they're doing the dog pound from Arsini. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. People yeah. are losing their shit now that you've mentioned raw. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a natural, I think, pairing with this. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting there. Uh, of course, bones and all. I, I mean, I Man. thought about it nonstop. Yeah. With yeah. this. Uh, really and, love that movie too. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and so I, I like that here. Carrie, of course, we already mentioned Carrie, but I think, dealing with this is you know interesting space ginger snaps i put on here mm-hmm. uh giving us the werewolf mythos but also very much you know werewolves are also often an analog for puberty and I teenagerism mean, i feel like my class is just a module in your class truly like you're yeah, kind of maybe, like yeah, getting at what the i was vampire yeah. coming of age or something yeah, yeah yeah because i think you're right i think like horror is such a ripe ground for this stuff yeah i mean it's easy to symbolism and metaphors and yeah. illusions and allegory uh next we would go with a movie called teeth 
um, which yeah. I think is really interesting, and in, in especially the sexual politics and things like that. I think dealing with gender is really interesting. Uh, and then finally, we'd probably end with It Chapter One, um, which is sort of the, I think, you know, we've already mentioned the Stephen Kingness, and this is sort of his, you know, bread and butter as well. And so I think ending there with It Chapter One uh, would be a fun place to go. But we would just talk about the thing, you know, growing up sucks, growing up is hard. Um, and sometimes that gets, uh, you know, personified through spooky wookies. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a fun place to play. And, and the way in the two, the way in which these two genres can match up and meet up, uh, present some very fun, very interesting stories. And so, uh, that's all we do. We'd go through the horror coming of age story. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Arthur. I am going to do the thing to really make this good trash. And I want to talk about vulgar auteurism. Yeah. I, at some point, I'm going to have a vulgar auteurs class. Yes. And uh, when I do that, I think... All um, auteurs are vulgar. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily. I, good art. I mean, well, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, will, I will submit to that. But um, Thomas Alfredson made this movie, and he made a couple other movies that you may have heard of, friends. I don't know if you guys looked this up or not, but no. um, he also directed Tinker Tailor Solar Spy mm-hmm. as the follow-up to this. And then then um, one of our favorite Nordic films of all time, The Snowman, mm-hmm. uh, starring one Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it sort of shows this kind of strange range and careerism that goes on, especially with international filmmaking. Uh, making yeah, especially, it in, especially if, yeah, like, I think you're just about to say you have a big international hit and Hollywood comes calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think just sort of taking this filmmaker alongside other filmmakers, you know, of their ilk, and we could go on and on and on with all that. We could, I mean, Bong Joon-ho is sort of one has gone back and forth and really has had stellar success all the way through um, since we just talked about Train to Busan. But um, there's a number of other filmmakers you could do uh, for this. I mean, obviously, Paul Verhoeven is like my sure. text for my vulgar auteurs. And, uh, but I, I think it's a really fascinating sort of thing to think about how these uh, filmmakers have a voice. He's done a handful of other things in Sweden since mm-hmm. then. He's kind of kind of given up on the sort of big budget kind of success kind of thing and has just done a lot of other I don't know if they're any good or not uh, works. And so I would want to look more into them um, and have to actually have seen them to make a, make a statement there. But uh, Tinker Taylor, you know, is um, really successful. Cool movie. And uh, so really kind of uh, nailed it um, coming out of this and then really tanked it. Uh, with the snowman, although not really his fault. I mean, that's sort of like a it was a huge production thing. Yeah, from a, yeah, humus, a number of levers. Yeah, just a huge clusterfuck from from all angles. Yeah, it's a wild and crazy time um, that was had there. But also thinking of Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is trash, considering its sort of prestige flair. That's that I went with. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Especially, I don't know, but like Lakari novels are kind of like infamously like dad books yeah, in a way sure. even though they're yeah. like like well regarded for their prose mm-hmm. like I I just like when people bring them up it, I feel like they're being brought up disparagingly often mm-hmm. not yeah. that I have like a huge relationship with that novelist no I don't either but um, I think that would be fun and so uh, they're just sort of tracing that career path and just you know doing it as a module within a couple of others and he's a fun one to do because I mean he's a wunderkind for a second and then mm-hmm. he's not well and I think Reffin's like an interesting like another mm-hmm. like yeah. Nordic contemporary of his right same region same age group I think right. that's sort of an interesting guy to compare him to absolutely um, you know it's funny you bring up a snowman because I was just I was just thinking about it recently um because I found out who the editor of The Snowman was, and I couldn't believe it, and then it made perfect sense at the same time. Uh, it's it's Thelma. Mm-hmm. Thelma's going to make Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I was looking at, like, her, te- her team-ups with Marty, 
I was just like, saying, how many times have they worked? It was like every movie. And I was kind of looking through her filmography and I was like, what the hell? Like, no man is sitting right there in the middle of the late filmography. She's like, what are you talking? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. They had to find that movie. They didn't finish shooting in the edit. Of course, you call mm-hmm. in one of the goats to, mm-hmm. to try and stitch your movie together. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Just yeah. uh, you mentioned it. So it was it was a movie I was thinking about recently. Well, yeah, and I think there's an interesting uh, comparison between that and maybe Guillermo del Toro's experience making Mimic. Mm, you know, sure. which, which I think comes out as a better movie yeah. than um, he gives it credit for. Yeah. But uh, or you can look at all Terry's uh, all of his filmography, uh, especially his like post Days of Heaven stuff, mm-hmm. like everything that gets found in the like uh, Thin Red Line and To the Wonder and the. The, what's the name of the music festival movie? The one he shot at South by Southwest with um, Rooney Mari. I never saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur song to song. That's what mm-hmm. it's called. Uh, but all those movies were like, you know, shot like eight hours of footage and then found it in the edit. Right. right. So, I mean, that can be good or bad or in between. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right, though. It's interesting. Like kind of look at some of these other films that have were taken away from their filmmaker or the filmmaker like took it away from the actors or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now it's time we got down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business time. Dustin, can you tell people, we don't have to spend too long on this, but since you mentioned the Volgara tour, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't talked about that in a while. Oh, sure. About our, our, your Volgara tours, your tours of commerce and all of these things. Catch people up real quick. Okay, so fundamentally, auteurism is the theory that there is an author that um, early 50s or early 60s, I guess, late 50s uh, film critics were beginning to make an argument that film was art. And for their film to be art, there must be an artist. And so we have to assign an artist's role to certain films and not all films are art but certain films have authors and the French word for author is auteur and so they looked at particular directors your Howard Hawks your John Fords um, your uh, John Houston's and eventually Albert Hitchcock's and said these are the auteurs that are able to sort of have a singular vision and be able to sort of wrestle command from the Hollywood system and uh, this began the idea and so that's the the initial beginning of the thing. Um, what ends up becoming a commercial auteur is these um, films that were being sold by brand, by the brand of Francis Ford Coppola's whatever, or uh, their name above the title kind of stuff, Howard Hawks' Tarantino, Tarantino uh, and that kind of thing. And they become a character larger than life. They become a brand into themselves. Spielberg. Um, yeah. Well, and, and these guys, it's worth mentioning, exist, some could argue, and I don't think they were necessarily wrong to do so because of this. Right. Because of these French film critics in the 60s, the, the Coyote Cinema Cats. And they were trying to do that kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. They yeah. were trying to like elevate the role of the filmmaker. And they wanted and they wanted that kind of same um, cultural um, kind of cachet to sort of um, swirl around them. Um, vulgar auteurism is where these filmmakers are much more journeymen or they're working on much lower budget films or they're sort of less well generally received kind of movie. And they definitely work much more in genre. I mean, it's clearly Steven Spielberg works in genre and clearly uh, Albert Hitchcock worked in genre. But these vulgar auteurs tended to be those who made movies that were consistent, but they were not... They didn't have the same... Uh, 
pretensions to elevation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you might look at uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's um, sure. movies, uh, his video games, you know, adjacent adaptations. Or you might look at somebody like Paul Verhoeven, who's making movies like Robocop and uh, Total Recall and uh, having this sort of really kind of weird kind of vision. And then, but, you know, after those movies, it kind of transitions back, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. goes back to Holland and does, or Europe and does L and mm-hmm. these sort of more transgressive artsy films yeah and i mean cronenberg has got a similar kind of trajectory as well he begins as very much a vulgar auteur working in these really kind of scary body horror kind of horror films and then um he's the same guy that ends up doing eastern promises or the um, dangerous method and that kind of um cosmopolis and which are much more um have a much more artsy kind of eye applied to them vulgar tourism feels like a phrase that's in the same space as elevated horror i agree sure in that it only exists for critics to feel better about liking certain movies. I, mm-hmm. I totally concur. Well, yeah. and I think this is the moment where we have to like bring up in case anybody's not already shouting at their pod player about this. Um, you know, there's, there is this whole pushback against auteur theory that happens really, you know, over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. probably. But like, I think you, I'm sure you can find examples earlier, uh, but like a, a ton of work has gone into recent years as, as far as like, democratizing the process more saying yes film is art but that doesn't mean there has to be like one name that is responsible for the whole thing it is it is a collaborative process and requires a lot of people to come together and make a lot of compromises to get yes maybe one person is shepherding the vision and and that is uh, you know in theory the role of the director but at, at the end of the day, like a whole lot of people have to make a whole lot of decisions. For well, the thing and you to can get make the same kind of through lines with uh, actors or producers mm-hmm. or uh, with editors. Oh, especially actor producers like mm-hmm. your Margaret mm-hmm. Robbie's and your Brad Pitt's mm-hmm. and such. And so, um, yeah, there, there, you could you could find a different or screenwriters even. Yeah, you know, sure. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you can find different ways to sort of connect the dots between a, a sort of set of films uh, with other personnel. Uh, involved in it and so yeah it's 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 a it's a theory that's fraught with some problems but it continues to be kind of a useful way to think about and sort again just sort of clump together categories oh movies um although again as you say elevated horror vulgar auteur it's yeah these are these are trashy movies but there's kind of a thing going on here you know roger corman is a vulgar auteur some critic really felt bad about themselves after watching starship troopers and they're like we got to have a term for this so i don't feel Mm -hmm. like a I, schmuck. Well, and I think there's a lot of people who still don't think of movies as art. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, movies, to their credit, like, do a lot to convince people they're not art. There's a lot of bad movies uh, and a lot of, like, passed off as good movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not necessarily, like, unsympathetic to that argument of, like, are any movies art, especially American films? Like, I'm, 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 I'm sympathetic to that argument. It makes me angry. It makes me want to pull my hair out. It makes me want to, you know, lock people in rooms with uh, theater screens and say, oh, you want to play a game? And, <laughs> and there's no traps. It's just me making you watch stuff. Um, so while that argument makes me crazy, I do understand it. And and it is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Like, what is the role of making up these words like elevated? Because I think this, this is a film that like, uh, you know, to, to stay on this film in particular, we're kind of talking about critical discourse in general right now but to keep it on let the right one in this is a film that'll show up on elevated horror lists in a big way Mm -hmm. probably not let me in uh which is kind of like much more genre thrills centric but critically a loved 
This film? No, uh, let, let me in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It did well. It was very critically acclaimed. Yeah, it, it didn't. I know Making we top ten lists. Yeah. And, yeah. I, we kind. I know we hmm. kind of talked about like it. It being compared unfavorably to this film, but it was not like poorly received. No. It it did like financially maybe, but critically yeah. very people liked it. Yeah, people yeah. liked it. Um. So it's it's interesting to try and like pigeonhole projects and say well this one's art but because of this well this one doesn't look arty but like you know it's it is this this taxonomy of like what is valuable there's also this thing that happens amongst american critic or i mean just americans in general they've been conditioned to anything that's international is almost automatically put into some sort of art house framing right just because it's a four lane just like black and white is almost always before yeah Yeah, is also put into that Mm -hmm. which is a weird you know thing as well because I I think it's because the the process of watching is automatically a little bit more distanced and intellectualized. You have to you have to think about it more. You have to sort of follow in a different kind of viewing strategy. Even if you're watching something from like the fifties, like you know, um, I don't know any fifties movie. Um, if you're watching Invasion that, of the Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. it, it the plotting is a very very standard kind of science fiction invasion story, but it's also within 50s conventions which are a bit slower a bit mm-hmm. talkier and uh just sort of how the the strategy of noticing the points that are important is different than watching something like um the avengers yeah i mean i've had students talk about you know i've had them watch casablanca and they you know talk about how the the language is a, a barrier because of the way they're talking the speed they're talking the language that they're the terms the vocabulary mm-hmm. just simply put interesting is off-putting and hard to follow that's insane mm-hmm. really I, okay, well, I, mean, I guess you just engage a different part of your brain than you normally do. Sure, and so um, I, I just I can understand what Zoomers are saying, so I don't understand why Zoomers can't understand what understand what dead people are saying. I guess you know what I mean. It's like yeah. I I understand that I'm the weird one in this equation, and that it's going to be weird. What's that, a gam? Yeah, it's weird that I was born in the 20th century. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still insane to me that like I know I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Like, oh God, we're going to reach a point in our lives where it's odd. That we were not born in the 21st century. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, already referencing like things that happened in the 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> the late 1900s. Yeah. 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 Like what? What are you saying? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it's interesting, though, that, to think about the ways in which whether time or region or filmmaker can become the sort of barrier to entry in some mm-hmm. ways. It's interesting. Yeah. Now, what does any of this have to do with Let the Right One In? Everything, right? Because it's a horror movie and yet it's like super artsy fartsy and it's in its kind of languid pace and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like slow to reveal details. Is it or is it just Swedish? That's an interesting well, question. I don't know. I mean, I don't again, li- there's that thing of is it just cultural or is it us looking at it as outsiders? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, I got to look up is, what country Headhunters is from. My, real my quick. first thought was it's glacially paste, and I went, well, that's appropriate now, isn't it? Um, just as a metaphor. Very cold. Yeah, it's, it's very, very cold. Very, very cold there. <laughs> Keeps you at arm's length. And it, and it is, and it is <laughs> a much cold like the Swedes. And it is very sort of regionally specific. You know, mm-hmm. um, blow the man down is a sort of a, a, a interesting uh, cross point here yeah. because it's very much sort of that northern yeah. uh, northeast Maine kind of locale, yeah. and so this movie movie is i mean it is rooted in its swedishness and and so the the cold and the weather and just the the sort of recreation that people do all of that is sort of part and parcel of what's just happening here and uh, so and and it's also got that extra distance of it being an 80s film and so it, it really does without set in the 80s yeah set in the 80s yeah so i should yeah I should make sure we're clear here that it's set in the 1980s and we don't really see a lot of gestures towards that we see old tvs we see record players mm-hmm. and tape decks i didn't realize it was set in the 80s yeah interesting and, yeah until 
we've recorded. They make a much bigger point of it and let me in, I think. I mean, especially with like Ray, the nods to Ray. probably and stuff. recognize. Yeah. For me. Sure. Sure. There. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, I had forgotten that even that was sending because it's been. 13 years since I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I think that's fair. I mean, this this film is not like a period piece insofar as that it doesn't hammer home its setting. But I think it's interesting. Like, the book comes out in 04, um, the novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, or no, 02, and I think it's first translated into English in 04, maybe. Gotcha. But I was just thinking about, like, the time this novel came out versus when it's set, right? Because the novel's published in a post-Columbine world, but the book is set prior to that and so we're it's sort of interesting like we're having different conversations about like childhood development and bullying and and violence in schools in the aughts than we were having in the 80s so it definitely feels like you know a a novelist looking back on you know not if if not specifically their childhood at least childhood's past and sort of kind of trying to look at it through a contemporary lens and that definitely feels like if there's a point to the period setting of this story, it definitely feels like it's that is that we're in an era where people are just like not talking like kids are way less supervised mm-hmm. and the world is like a little bit scary. And, and I'll tell you right now, I mean, I was in school in the 80s and early 90s and it was a violent place. I mean, yeah. regular yeah. sort of significant injuries were doled out, um, you know, one to another at that time. It at was, the flagpole at 3 p.m. It was, yeah, it was a zoo. I mean, then. even in the mid aughts, like I had blood on the floor of a public mm-hmm. school. Yeah. That's not uncommon. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it still happened back, you know, in the, the post 9-11, you know, middle school era. But that's like even by that point, things are like so different. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like yeah. such a much more like automatic multi-day suspension for sure. anybody involved in any sort of physical altercation. Yeah. Like, yeah they're still asking the, questions about who started it, yeah. you know, when I was there. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's I don't know. I, I think you're right, though, that the, like the, the, the setting here is like subtle mm-hmm. uh, by the way headhunters is a norwegian film it's an action thriller with nicola kosterwaldju i don't mm. know how to say his name um I lannister think I, yeah exactly i got close but i don't think i said it right anyway that that film's like not like s- slow at all so i don't i don't know that this is necessarily like a, a, a regional thing or mm-hmm. a national cinema thing i just think that this is like a choice specific well, to this film. girl with the dragon tattoo is not slow yeah that cooks. I mean, it, yeah absolutely and that's Swedish. yeah yeah so I, th- I think that it's purely just like a, that's the film they set out to make mm-hmm. and, and i'm sure that that isn't at least in some ways faithful to the novel i'm sure like mm-hmm. at least in tone um do we want to talk about the pace of this and the way like that it doles out information about ellie um, well, before we get to that, I, I, I want to talk about Oscar and the okay. pace of it and uh, the opening shots. Let's talk about Oscar. <laughs> we, 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 we have to talk about we, Oscar. We, we, we've talked about both of them. But that opening sequence when he's in his underwear and we have the sort of uh, milky reflection of yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And it is almost... Uh, Again, the the film is sort of signaling to us visually that there are potential Oscars. There's there's you know there's oh, sure. there's at least three because there's the actual Oscar and then there's a the the solider reflection and then sort of the less re, sort of less solid reflection and all of these are sort of potentialities that are at work here as Ellie and um, her handler um, Renfield. I was just yes. thinking about him as like a tiny Travis Bickle in that scene. I didn't, sure. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think about sort of like the visual ways in which the film was telling us that there are like multiple trajectories for this kid's yeah. life, which I, I think you're right. I think that's there. And yeah. the book ends that image at the end. Yes. And, and so, you know, that, that the, those kinds of thoughtful gestures are the sort of, you know, key sort of traits of auteurism that we're trying to talk about here. Mm-hmm. You know, that the, the desks look like a train in the first shot of Billy Wilder's um, double indemnity. I mean, there's sort of like visual rhyme 
rhymes that are being made or visual mm-hmm. illusions um, that are going on there. And I, and I think that's part of the brilliance uh, of the movie and why it sort of gets that sort of upper level kind of thing. So that, that I just want to mention that we can talk more about Oscar as a character later, but you wanted to talk about Ellie. Yeah. I just like thinking about things from like a plotting standpoint, mm-hmm. just like the way in which it doles out information about Ellie, like whether it's, the sort of odd way she floats down from the jungle gym. Mm-hmm. The sort of kind of too slow way she falls. Her eyes are just a little too big. Yeah, and they are too little too reflective in dark situations. And, you know, just it's just like little stuff like that. I know there's a ton that I'm not thinking of because it feels like every third or fourth scene with Ellie, there's like some little like trying to tell you she's a vampire flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm not thinking of all of them. But there were just like so many sprinkled throughout the film mm-hmm. that I was, every time it, it would hit you with one, I'd be like, ooh, that was cool. She smells kind of bad. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's. I guess she kind of is like decomposing, you know. If when she's, she's not feeding. If yeah, she's yeah. not feeding, I guess yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, just being cold and all that classic stuff. It's interesting, like, you bring that up because... The, the, especially the Swedish version does really try to obscure... You know, this mysterious girl moves in kind of stuff with the synopsis and things. But Mm -hmm. like knowing she's a vampire going into it, I think is a different experience than having not. If I didn't know she was a vampire, because I think there would be a lot more of those questions. But, I, you know, I am already aware of that fact. So I don't know that any of that's super interesting. Interesting. I was I was kind of hooked in, even though I knew it. I think it's cool. Yeah, like the, when she jumps off the earth, yeah. like floats, up, like that's cool. Yeah, or like not, she puzzles out the like. I mean, those things are cool about her, but like I know she's a vampire, so there's not like a gotcha. This is building to something for me. I guess which I'm, I think if I was obscured, it would. Hmm. I mean, does anyone go into a movie called Let the Right One In and not know it's a vampire movie? Becca did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned that Ellie I was a vampire. Would, yeah. Maybe. We were watching with a friend, and I, we got maybe um, a friend and listener. Hey, Brian. Uh, he told me he would listen to this episode, so I guess I got to give him, give him a what's up. Hey. Um, anyway, so we were watching it, and I mentioned that Ellie was a vampire. And after, I can't remember if it was while we were watching her after, Becca was like, oh, I had, that was a spoiler for me. I had no idea. So, you know, it's, it's conceivable you could get up to half an hour into this movie and not quite put the pieces together right mm-hmm. away. So I, I think Arthur does have a good point. F- for me personally, even knowing that, I was still like... I guess the film is constructed effectively enough that I, I was kind of like wrapped up in the way it was doling out that information. Mm-hmm. Even, even if I, you know, was aware of what was the reveal. No, was. I wasn't aware of like, you know, the handler situation. Cause mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was a family of vampires at first, you know, so there's that mm-hmm. kind of obscurity gotcha. for me still. Cause yeah. I'm like, Oh, he's draining his blood so they can store it in their house for a week or, you know, like I yeah. was thinking he was just providing for the family. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> sure, I mean, he is, sure. but I was thinking he was also a vampire. He's going gotcha. out for groceries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is more of a, we are, What's the name of that movie? We are what we are. We are what we are. That's not van- this cannibals though, right? Oh, yeah. is it? No, I haven't seen it. I thought they were vampires. They're can- the cannibals. Yeah, I, they're yeah. cannibals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. That's right. <laughs> oh boy. Um, what else? Uh, the bullying, childhood divorce. Like, there's there's all kinds of like sort of classic tropes. childhood development yeah. tropes. Yeah, which are interesting, and I definitely like part of how Oscar ends up in this relationship, right? Is he doesn't have like a solid safety net. He doesn't mm-hmm. have like people who are really t- like his mom's trying her best, but like she's confused by this kid and wants his dad to take a more active role. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and they seem to have a good relationship, like from what we see of it. Oscar and his mom, you mean? His dad. Oscar and his dad. Yeah, it's like surface level, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's the fun dad. Well, he's yeah. a fun dad. Yeah, yeah. He, that's exactly it. He's distant and um, that gone, and therefore he just is desperate for Oscar that. Oscar has no bad thoughts of him. Or, yeah, or, correct. Yeah, yeah. He, he, exactly. That's exactly right. He has no bad thoughts, whereas he spends all of his time with his mother, yeah. so has time to like develop resentment towards her, Yeah, which we get a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. ways in which he's like kind of cold towards her, you know, doesn't just isn't interested in, in like what she has to offer him. Um, it's also interesting that he's like, we, we get this early setup that he's like a little true crime freak. Like saving like murder clippings from the newspaper and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you are a little fucking weirdo, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he knew the, the the victim didn't die in the fire because there was no smoke in the lungs. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that yeah. that detail that he's like, oh, did you read ahead? No, no, I'm just. Or have you heard? Well, this, this is why you're before? bullied because yeah. you're the weirdo. You're weird. <laughs> yeah. I, that is sort of the interesting thing about the, we don't get a ton of that. Uh, but maybe we could have gotten more of like the way adult adults alienate him too. Mm-hmm. like he, even like yeah. the people in his life that are supposed to be like molding him and helping him or not interested in him because he is such a little freak with his page boy bowl cut. But then his teacher's like not spotting him in the gym. Like, yeah, there's some <laughs> yeah. real funny stuff in this movie. It is kind of weird sense of humor. You're right. Yeah. I didn't like pick up on it entirely while He's we like, were watching it. But got I, like, yeah, yeah. 15 pounds on the, on yeah. the bar. Yeah. And it's not even a 45 pound <laughs> yeah. bar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty good. I forgot about that. Um, do you want to talk about the book? Sure, tell me about yeah, the book. Yeah, I was wondering, because you, you... I don't know anything. Tell well, me... you it. mentioned the queering of this story, which is very interesting in light of the book. Oh, do tell. He He's a he's a pedophile. Uh, the, the caretaker. Oh, Hax, he's... Yeah. Haxon? Haxon? Uh, like Haxon. Uh, he's fired from a teaching job for possessing child pornography, and that's, like, part of why they're moving, I guess. Oh. Um, and, like... Ellie is confirmed to be AMAB um, and after being uh, turned into a vampire was castrated. And that is why they present as female to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, that explains yeah. the scar or whatever. We the, the, the sort of general there's a, like a little nod to that in the movie, right? Yeah. When Ellie says, I'm not a girl. Yes. Right. There's a, there's Which a, is just, you know, surface level. Oh, yeah. You're a vampire. You're, a vampire. And you're 300 years old. Exactly. That's the but surface level. No, the book is a much more. Yeah. It's all subtext and illusions yeah. in the in the in the film. She's just uh, a very pretty boy. Okay, yeah. So and is confirmed to be like two hundred years old. Okay. So your theory about the caretaker sort of being the the last Oscar mm-hmm. is not. I don't know if it's confirmed in the book, but is at least like kind of there in the text as a possible like solve for the plot. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that 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 is definitely there. And I remember but that, that relationship becomes much more predatory in the book. Yes, there's like an active like that relationship takes a. A, a sketchy, hard turn. scary turn, and that guy gets turned into a vampire and is killed by a minor side character, and like all kinds of crazy shit that doesn't happen in either movie. I version. really want to read the book. I'm curious about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would definitely. It's be in interested. my Amazon cart. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely Attic interested yeah. in the. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm. I'm thinking Audible already. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it, it definitely like is darker, mm-hmm. and as books, you know, th- that have heavy subject matter often go harder than their film adaptations do, just because like. You can go hard on the page in a way you can't on the screen. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's a different it's different. Yeah. You don't have to ask actors to do it for starters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and you don't have to ask an audience to like empathize with a face. They're allowed mm-hmm. to like write write things in a little bit more on their on their own time. But anyway, so that's that's some context for like 
what goes on in the original source material and how that Whoa. informs sort of like the content of the film and the subtext of the film. Yeah, I think it's maybe smart adaptation choice to like make that to make it unclear who in the Ellie caretaker relationship is a yeah. predator and who's not to like obscure mm. the power dynamics of that relationship are super smart. And I think a big part of like what makes the film work as far as like the way it reveals information and uh, sort of like the first time we get Ellie yelling at him and she's got like this kind of like more monstrous, like more masculine voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, we don't like fully see her yelling at him. Like it's mostly the shots are focused on, on her caretaker. That's some cool stuff. Like, and sort of like the, the ways in which that relationship is revealed to us, I think is super interesting. Yeah. Again, like I'm sure on the page that the wares that that story goes are like compelling and, you know, interesting from a human behavior standpoint. I'm glad we didn't get them in this film. I don't, I don't yeah. know that the film needs it. I don't know that like, I don't think I need it. I don't, I don't want it. Uh, I, I think it's an easier to digest film. Well, my psychoanalytical brain just sort of kicked on here for a second. Um, just thinking about this guy and his pedophilia. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was a 12 year old who fell in love with a 12 year old who is remaining forever, a 12 year old, that explains his kink, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a lot okay. going on there. Yeah, yeah. If that's what happens. If that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. But again, I, you know, the, my quick cursory sp- speed read of the the novel's uh-huh. Wikipedia page does not like reveal like the I mean, ins it doesn't and make outs. it okay. I want to be no, very clear. I, I didn't think uh, you were saying know, that. Okay. Good, good of you to clarify. For the record, y'all. For the record, not that team. Uh, just because it's a vampire doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think those are the rules. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, and just because there's a explanation of a you know particularly depraved set of actions there you know just yeah. just because there's an explanation doesn't make it an excuse right sure and i guess maybe that's just being extra depraved is a feature another element of this that makes me go boy this sure does remind me of stephen king stories mm-hmm. just like when you find out how much more depraved the page version is like, oh jesus christ what right right what is this actually about so I, I, I get the, I, the orgy at the end of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So I, I'm not sure. I don't know how having not read the novel. I don't know how that knowledge like really informs my read of this film. But it is it is interesting to now have those those pieces of the story that are not fully uh, elaborated on mm-hmm. within the text of the movie to kind of like have that clarification from the page is interesting well and that is sort of one of those aesthetics of the art house film right mm-hmm. is, is the idea of inference and implication and subtext is is, is one of the sort of key kind of things that 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 these that that these types of movies kind of live on mm-hmm. is that there's an idea that maybe you know i mean we could look at another movie that's very different than this um that arthur and i have both have seen marina uh which is this sort of sunshine noir made out of croatia via greece and uh, we don't know what anybody's thinking or why they're doing what they're doing, but we kind of know we're supposed to hate them. Mm. And we know that there is something going on that's abusive. And we don't know what the level of that abuse is with his various characters. And, the, and it, the, all that stuff is off the screen because it's, the movie simply just brings us into this part of the story. Mm-hmm. And th- th- again, there's, um, there's an aesthetic taste. Right. And I think this movie really kind of meets that aesthetic taste that part of what we're talking about when we're talking about what makes, you know, Fellini movies or Antonioni movies from Italy really popular in the 60s and 70s or what makes for the new wave in the 60s or um, the the sort of nature of the Shutter Gorehound um, 
um, horror fan, right? Um, that they're, 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 they particularly want that it to look in a particular kind of way. They want the storytelling to sort of shake out in a particular kind of way. They're looking for these sort of boxes to be checked. And one of the boxes that are checked in this case is that um, obfuscation, obfuscation. Such a hard word. Uh, as and you such say, a useful one. Or, um, again, just sort of withholding in the storytelling. An, an obscuring yeah. of character motivations, of like relationship dynamics, and like all of that, I, I think, it makes the film more successful. It makes it more interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Just like not knowing what Ellie's motivations are for Oscar, not knowing what the caretaker's motivations are, not, not understanding how Ellie and the caretaker's relationship came to be Mm -hmm. right. Like all of these missing pieces of the puzzle. Like, I I think you're right. Like kind of deep in the film. And I'm sure on the page, the more explicit exploration of what's going on, I'm sure is like interesting from a theme and like character and, and, you know, human behavior point of view. But Mm -hmm. yeah, again, I'm that page to screen jump. Well, even Oscar's attraction is it doesn't doesn't read erotic. No, at all. Which would be weird and kind of hard. Like if if it is that way on the page, I'm glad they didn't try to bring that to the screen. Yeah. To keep it like much more of that sort of like that pre-sexual cross gender situation was like yeah that it's it's like definitely about that kind of relationship mm-hmm. and about that like kind of window of your life of, of a human life mm-hmm. so it's it is interesting the ways in which it like portrays their connection without it like right. being explicitly romantic or or you know sexual at all mm-hmm. despite them like you know getting into bed at one point and i think that's kind of the, mo- the moment where which the movie is most like this isn't a sex thing right. this is a two kids thing even mm-hmm. if she is like of an indeterminate and unknowable age right um, we get a little bit, and I'm going to invoke interview with a vampire again. Um, and I, you know, and there's other stories where there's vampires who are like trapped in a child's body. Uh, but that's kind of one of the more famous ones. Um, we don't get a ton here about like being trapped as an adolescent and like how that informs Ellie's psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some stories that do this do kind of a little bit more with like, is this, sort of an adult mind trapped in a child or is this oh um near dark has one of these that's another good one mm-hmm. as a kid who's a vampire yeah uh, there's another one another one i'm forgetting though but uh, the, this sort of this idea of this character has been with us through a lot of vampire stories i guess is the point i'm getting at and, and what we don't really get because of the ways in which ellie's motivations are obscured we don't really know where she is psychologically. Yeah, I, I had this. Or the, I guess I, I, I might like ungender the language where they are psychologically. Now that we know about the novel characters. Right. What journey. I kept wondering about is now that, because she is not aging, does that mean she does not go through the brain development? Exactly. Right. That you're, yeah, you're hitting the, the exactly neurological what I was development. Scratching. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I kept wondering, I was like, does she have knowledge? Or does she have, you know, maturity? Mm-hmm. And she has like worldly knowledge, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, and she does seem to be quite, she's, uh, they do seem to be very much 12 years old. And yet at the same time, there, there are these ways in which Ellie like tries to protect Oscar, mm-hmm. right? Tries to put him at arm's distance and like stop the relationship before it gets too far. Along. I'm dangerous. Yeah. You, know. you don't want to be, I can't be friends with you. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to be around me. And, and so there is the implication that like there, there is an empathetic soul somewhere in Ellie, mm-hmm. right? It is not just about like finding the next caretaker, right? Let the right. And I've seen this alluded to, um, elsewhere, 
um, and I can't remember where, but the the title "Let the Right One" and other than being like a riff on a Morrissey lyric, um, is is uh, some I can't remember if it's the novelist or uh, our our filmmaker here or director, but I saw a quote where somebody was talking about like it's it's also like who is Ellie going to let in on the secret? It's mm-hmm. not just about the classic you know who's going letting the vampire into the home, but it is like letting somebody in on your secret, right? Yeah, which I think is kind of an interesting and like, Oscar's the right one, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of fun to kind of think about the the flip of the interpretation of the title, the, mm-hmm. the less obvious read and sort of the more like baked into the themes read of that that title. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, he is kind of perfect. Yeah. He's a little psycho. <laughs> he kind of wants to do a murder. Yeah. He's kind of like mm-hmm. being primed for it by life on accident. Nobody yeah. means to, but it is happening. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that is like part of the whole deal here is like how psychologically traumatized Oscar already is by the start of the film. I mean, like, again, when we meet him, he's doing tiny Travis Bickle, like right. talking to me. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's that's how he like and I, I get that, man, like. I peek behind the curtain. I've been that kid. Mm-hmm. I've been that kid mm-hmm. that's getting fucked with really hard and thinking like, man, if I was just like, if I just knew what to say, if I was just a little yeah. bit tougher, you know. And so it's that's the place that I think a lot of kids find themselves, yeah. like wishing they knew how to interact with like hostility uh, and how to like defend themselves against whether whatever kind of hostility they might be suffering against. Moving into a little less heavy territory before we call it a day, I just want to talk about how this movie hides its tiny budget so well. Um, just mm-hmm. a couple places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a tree scaling scene where yeah. clearly Ellie's already in the tree, and uh, it's a different actor that sort of scampers, and and we just see this sort of scampering kind of imagery, but on the back side of the tree, and then she's there, mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. right? And I love that. Um, and there's a couple places where in way distant long shot, she's skate scaling up the. Hospital, hospital wall yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so and they really spend the money where they need to yeah. on on the harvey dent phase yeah great great prosthetics yeah incredible prosthetic the pillar of file and fire in the hospital Man, room incredible. so good yeah. great shot and there's there's some cool stuff here about like the way violence is obscured too mm-hmm. and yep. the, the first time that we see her caretaker you know do a, a murder on her behalf like the attack is like shot in the wide and it's obscured by a tree and so like, there's just like kind of cool filmmaking flourishes for like how violence is depicted in mm-hmm. this film. Well, even the pool sequence, right? Yes. I mean, there's yes. Th- there's another movie where this is much more gratuitous mm-hmm. and violent. And the subtlety here is what makes it work so well. Well, and, and it's just body ba- parts appearing in a pool is so cool. And yeah. it comes out of it like a baptism. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, I mean, there's there's yeah. extra imagery there. Uh, I love the uh, the image that I kind of alluded to when we first got started uh, when um, I can't think of his name, but the guy who's. Um, partner gets turned into a vampire and exploded in the hospital bed when he goes looking for Ellie and Oscar and Ellie kills him like that image of him like trying to pull his way out of the bathroom and then getting pulled back in which is just like a classic horror image Mm -hmm. just like that slow like kind of letting the shot get wider as we get further further away from the door sorry I was letting my mouth get further away from the mic which is (laughs) useful for me illustrating the shot a little bit but it's not good for listening Um, so yeah I love that shot like again it's just good filmmaking here Mm -hmm. and just like using the most putting all the money on screen and maximizing budget and like really I'm I'm glad you found a nice place for us to end because boy this is a heavy movie yeah and its novel is even heavier apparently. sounds that way yeah um so yeah just it is like for all of this like heady shit we just talked about it is like a really effective and cool vampire movie so it, and you know we talked about Train to Busan getting to have its cake and eat it too last week and I think this is a film that kind of does the same thing mm-hmm. in some ways so let's go ahead and render a verdict shelf or trash what do you say Dalton this is an essential vampire movie yeah. There's a shelfer. All right. What do you say, Arthur? <laughs> moment of truth, huh? It yeah, is a moment it of truth. Is. <laughs> We're seeing if we turned you around or not. 
Why'd you have to turn me around from? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we didn't need to turn you around. I don't know. You seemed cooler earlier. I just played things close to the vest. That's true. This movie's roughly 15 to 20 minutes too long. But I still think it goes on the shelf. Ah, yeah. yeah. And we already know you're putting it on the shelf yeah, because you've been singing it. It'd be funny if you trashed it because that would be classic cells. That would be classic cells for him to turn around and be like, yeah, this really is sort of a masterpiece. Trash. Uh, zero out of five stars. <laughs> you should watch it. It belongs on streaming. Uh, God hates it. Ain't everyone involved. Uh, so yeah, shelf for you. Yeah. All right. Internet. There you have it. Shocktober International. We're two for two, two on Triple Crowns. Two for two on Triple Crowns. That's crazy. I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, oh, it probably has. has. Yeah. yeah, we like horror too much. No, nah, we just we don't keep track of it, so it's it's always a, a cute thing when it does happen. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, um, the dear listener probably wants to tell us why we're wrong about everything. Yeah, sure. If you've got thoughts on let the right one in, or let me in, or vampires in general, you can let us know. Good trash genre cast at gmail.com. That is our email address. Again, please send your long form feedback to good trash genre cast at gmail.com. Uh, that's the name of the show you're listening to at gmail uh we're also on the internet in various places uh we're at good trash media uh for you know this show and our podcast network if you want to find it on socials we're not really updating any of those accounts of late uh but if you want to find us individually on letterboxd or insta uh you know we're i'm dollywood squares in most places dustin is uh orson cells or dustin cells around the internet arthur is the arthur gordon or ka excalibur so i'm not going to tell you the exact handles you're gonna have to do a little homework on your own uh, but yeah, if you want to find us online, we don't mind the follow. Uh, we're, we post a little bit. Uh, not a lot, really. We're all old and have lives and put our posting days behind us for the most part. But uh, it's at Good Trash Media if, you, if you're if you interested in helping boost those dumb numbers. The numbers we really care about are subscribers. So rate, review, subscribe, put this in your pod feed and keep it there and help other people find it in their pod feeds. That's that's really if you want to, like, do the helping us grow bullshit that, like, is allegedly supposed to happen from social media. That's how you can really do it. Just, you know, rate, review, subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us keep the lights on, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash GTM and find out what's in it for you. Um, this is an ad free program, but we do have to make some money here and there just so we can, you know, pay for the movies we watch or, uh, you know, pay for new recording equipment every couple of years. Hosting fees. Oh God. Yeah. We have to do that every year. Uh, so again, patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you want to help us keep the lights on over here at, uh, the old studio a, uh, but that's it. That's all you need to know about getting in touch with us and, uh, you know, knowing how to participate in this thing we call a podcast. You know what else they need to know? What do they need to The same thing we need to know. Oh yeah. Which is what are we going to watch next, Arthur? Uh, I already know. Unfortunately, you already know. I Unless don't. Arthur changed his mind or it's I mean, not streaming anymore. Point, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. Arthur, tell us your secrets. He may have told me and I forgot because I'm old. Mm-hmm. Well, next week, much like Eddie Murphy, we're coming to America. When we take a look at the Mexican horror film, we are what we are. Oh, shit. Literally referenced on this very episode. Excellent. And I'm wondering if I was talking about something else, because I'm the movie I'm talking about is an American film. It's an American remake. Yes. Of a Mexican film. Oh, is it? Oh, you didn't know it was a remake? I didn't know there was... I yeah, did, the guy from Stakeland. Uh, right. That's it, a remake. Okay. I, I saw the Stakeland guy's movie. I haven't seen the Mexican one. Yeah. I didn't know there was a Mexican yeah, one. That's right. We're right. We're back in North America, baby. Yeah. All right. So, um, Viva La Mexico. So, we're going to keep watching and yeah, you're going to keep talking. We'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.